Well, good morning. It's good to have you here today. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. And if you're one of our Kidmo leaders, if you would go with them, we would appreciate that. Uh, if you're our guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a, an environment for them to go have their own time of teaching, small group, uh, different things that they do back there. You're welcome to walk back and see where they're going and then pick them up whenever we're finished uh, here together. Uh, we are glad that you're with us. I see lots of um, new faces, and I hope I get to meet you all. Before you leave today, we're honored to have you as our guest. Uh, I do hope that you'll let us know that you were here, either by one of the cards in the, the guest gift bags that Scott mentioned, or um, online. You can follow along on version. and we have a lot of things coming up in the next few weeks, just this, this month that uh, we would love for you to take part in, and all that you can see on version as well. So we've been talking about love for the last couple of weeks. Scott did an excellent job uh, sharing last week, and, uh, and so I'm going to follow up a little bit on what he talked about, and uh, we are moving in the direction, and our trajectory for this series, For the Love, is all about le- learning to not only receive God's love, But if we are, as his disciples, going to be known for our love, it's got to be evident in every part of our lives. And so we really have several different series coming up in these next few weeks. Uh, This one is basically an overview of where we're going next. And where we're going next is how do we specifically apply the ability to love in all of our different relationships? Now, what I want to talk with you about today is the reality that if you choose to follow the teachings of Jesus, you are going to find yourself in some very uncomfortable positions regularly. And if you decide to take on the worldview that your place in this world is to love others, and and Scripture is very clear on who that involves, which is everyone, Jesus says we're supposed to love our neighbors, we're supposed to love God, we're supposed to love our enemies, we're supposed to love those who hate us, we're supposed to love those who persecute us, we're supposed to love those who want to take our lives. So if he is so complete and and saying that even the people that you should probably not want to love the most, you're, you're even supposed to love them, that changes the worldview that we have and the way that we live in it. Now, for some of you, this is going to be a hard series, and it already is, because you were not brought up and you are not wired to live in the way of love. You are wired to live in the way of making sure you're not taken advantage of. And whenever we grow up in this, and men, we are really, this is really where we live. When we grow up in a system that says, I will live my life, and as long as you contribute to my life, or as long as you don't try to harm me or someone I love, then you know what? I will be there for you. But you cross the line and we're done. And that's not the way that Jesus lived his life, nor the way he taught us to live. However, there are some intricacies in these relationships that I think we need to talk through. And how do we love accurately in the way that Jesus loved? Because the world will try to define for you what it looks like for you to live in the way of love, which... By and large, the world's definition of love is complete and overall acceptance. That's the way the world defines love. If you're going to love your neighbor, that means you completely, wholeheartedly accept whatever they have, whatever they are, whatever they want to do, no matter what. You're going to accept it. And if you ever speak against something as that may be unhealthy, then you are going to be accused of not being loving. So, There are some things that we need to talk through, and today I really want to to hit hard an area about love that you may not have considered before, but is crucial. And that is the direct correlation between love and trust. There is a direct correlation between love and trust. And generally, and what you're going to hear me say in just a few minutes, is that whenever someone we know completely loves us, we usually completely trust them. Because when we know someone loves us unconditionally, we don't worry that they're going to hurt us or do something to harm us. We, we trust them. Now, this is not always the case. And you have those relationships and I have those relationships that I know they absolutely love me, but I'm not sure I can always trust them, right? Do you have those in your life? So I'm married to one of those relationships and I know she absolutely loves me. Not sure I can always trust her. All right, she's not in here today, so this is a conversation between me and you. You don't need to share this. She doesn't need to hear this. Just take my word for it, okay? All right, no, no video recording either to be shown later. A couple, oh, about three years ago, we always prided ourselves on being an active family. Anybody else out there like to be an active family? 
We always pride ourselves on the fact that we're going to get out and do stuff. We would kick the kids out to go play outside. And, you know, it's a kind of a different dynamic today. Used to, we, they had to force us under threat to get us to come inside. Now you've got to kind of force them under threat to go outside. But, but our kids are pretty active. They do a lot of really active stuff on their own. And so we're really proud of that. But we try to be an active family. And sometimes we try to bite off a little more than we can chew. And we don't always take into the fact that what we could do 20 years ago might not be wise today, right? Amen? So we planned a big ski trip for our family. And if you've been at Journey for a while, you'll remember a time I limped in here with a big boot on my leg. And so Deidre planned our big ski trip. We go skiing. And some of you, like, you know, the Cunninghams over here, they ski around circles around everybody. Not me. I ski right in straight into the ground no matter where I am. But my binding on my boot did not let go over the ski when I began to fall forward. I don't know how you, I don't know that that that's even really possible for most people, but it is with me. Well, with, with Mark, all things are possible. And so I went forward and I tore my calf muscle. And so I'm by myself. Of course, my kids and my wife are all just skiing all over the place, having a good old time. And I'm weeping down at the foot of the mountain with all of these other people just looking at me, you know, like, what's wrong with you? And long story short, I eventually got a call about a half hour later wondering where I was, and I was in the first aid area, and oh, it was, it was horrible. About a year later, she decides it's time to go on another active trip, and I'm already pretty uncertain about this, but we decided we're going to go whitewater rafting. We've been whitewater rafting before, but we decided to go in the middle of the summer where there's a drought, and let me just tell you something. Don't go whitewater rafting in the middle of a drought. There's an essential ingredient usually missing at that time. But Deidre planned our trip, and so we went, and we went down the Hawassi because we thought, well, we're not going to do the Ocoee because then we'll probably drown based on our previous active experiences. But we'll go down the Hawassi. Not too bad. Well, it was not too bad. In fact, we had to keep getting out of the raft and picking it up over the rocks <laughs> in order to get down the river. So our two-hour trip took about six hours. And if you've ever gone, you know, my greatest fear in rafting is I'll, I'll get my leg stuck that I've already injured in between some rocks and then a current will grab me and I'll break my ankle. So I'm scared to death out here. It was the most hilarious, horrible trip that we've ever been on. And that ends our active trips as a family. We now sit on the couch, we watch TV like everybody else, and we're just going to do that so we can live longer. At least I can. I know my wife absolutely loves me. There are times I think she's absolutely trying to kill me. But I know she loves me, right? But by and large, and you know I'm joking here, but by and large, when we know somebody absolutely loves us, we tend to trust them more fully. Now, whenever we begin to understand how does that fit within our life and our relationship with God, one of the things that that you have to embrace when you embrace the mindset that I'm going to approach my life with the opportunity to love all that I come in contact with, you have to realize that this is all stemming from the gospel and the gospel runs counterculture to everything. Now, this is what we struggle with a little bit in the church today because we, us as Journey Church, one of our core values is that we want to be engaging and we want to be a relevant church. And so being relevant is a very subjective word, isn't it? But being relevant meaning that one of the ways that the church has really lost influence in the world is that we have just, we've put up barricades. We've told people how bad they are and how they're so, you know, not... Uh, following the way of Jesus and their actions and activities in their life are going to send them to hell. But we don't ever tend to engage them, or at least there are a lot of times we don't engage them on the level of where they are to help them understand the value of the gospel in a culture that is contrary to the gospel. Once you embrace the gospel, this radical inclusion of others, this radical way of living the way of Jesus and loving others means that you are going to have to run counterculture as well. There are some things that we can work with within the culture. There are some things that we do in order to to do that. But all of Jesus' teaching leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection was to prepare his disciples for this reality that, you know what? Everything that the world says is good generally is not. And one of his most well-known sermons is that we we find in Matthew, we call it the Beatitudes. These are the things that we are supposed to be, Right? And they run completely counterculture to everything that the world stands for. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Most of us do not go out desiring to live as poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. What? I don't want to mourn. Most of us live our lives trying to mourn as little as possible. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is completely absent in most of our popular culture today. He goes on in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as you came in today looking for an uplifting word on love, you should be blessed if you're persecuted. Amen? Let's go to lunch. Oh, we're all done. Almost every teaching that Jesus gives us is telling us that you've got to live contrary to the world around you. And yet he says these things that kind of stick in our crawl, that make that so difficult. And, it's, and these very countercultural teachings are one of the reasons that so many religious groups do completely pull out from everything. It's one of the reasons that they pull out from culture, pull out from society. It's why you know, you have the Amish don't you know, use electronics and they live like you know, it's 500 years ago. It, they're, they're trying to completely pull out and be segregated from the rest of the world. And yet Jesus said, I don't want you to completely pull yourself out of the world. I want you to engage the world. I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. And if you're going to be a Christian, especially today when culture is changing so rapidly and it's changing so devastatingly towards the gospel, then you're going to have to learn how to live this out in an ever-changing culture that does not value the things that Jesus values. Whenever you receive the gospel, when I say receive it, I don't mean hear it. When you receive the gospel, whenever you say, you know what, this is the point of life then it changes you, and it will change your world view. The gospel, when it's received, will always change your worldview. And one of the most difficult things for us to do is to change the way we see something, isn't it? Whenever you get in your mind that a certain thing is a certain way, isn't it difficult to change your mind? And, and you know, don't elbow your husband. But you know it's true. And his wives and women and everyone in the room, you know it's true. We don't like to change our minds. I, we were eating, I, can't, I think it was at Zaxby's the other day, and there was a sign, and I really wanted, there, occasionally I see something I just want to take off the wall and take with me, right? And uh, there's a little sign there, and it says, I could agree with you, but then we would both be wrong. <laughs> I loved it. I thought, that's me. I need that. I need that. And... My father and I, and those of you who know my dad, are the, the women are just talking about merciless, are merciless in our family because they describe us as we may not be right, but we're never in doubt. That is how they describe my dad and I, which is probably an accurate description, if I'm honest. But when we're going to change the way we see the world, here, here's what we know about that. Number one, it is very difficult, but number two It will radically change your life. You begin to change the way you see the world. You don't have to change the world itself, but you do have to change the way you see it. And when Jesus teaches us on love and trust, this is exactly what he's trying to show us. is not that you have to go out and force people to be different. You have to change the way you see the world. I've asked um, a friend to come up and share today. Beth, if you kind of make your way up, I've asked her to share with me be, or share with you. She's already shared with me because she has a, a recent experience that um, I've just asked if she would be open to do this. This is Beth Williamson. Y'all give her a hand. She's coming up her first time up here. I'll give you that. She, I'm sure she's nervous. So, uh, but. But we're, I'm glad that she chose to come up. And I just asked Beth, we had a conversation, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And some of you have been praying for Beth over these last few weeks. And, and uh, we had a conversation just about how are things going. 
And some of the things that she shared with me that she was just processing internally what God was doing within her own thinking and the way she viewed the world, I just was like, yeah, we've got to share that with other people because this is so huge for people and the opportunity for freedom. So uh, in order to do that, I'm just going to ask Beth some questions and then I, you, you feel absolutely free to chase any rabbits that you want to chase. But um, why don't you just share with those who don't know kind of what you've been dealing with over these last few months. The only way I can describe it is like a loud flute being just in your ear, uh, in your head. And I, I woke my husband up and I was like, I, I don't understand. Like, I have a ring, like, let's look this up. So, you know, we look it up and um, I read everything from it's going to last forever, you have hearing loss. Um, so from that point, I stopped sleeping. And it was not like a few, you know, hours of sleep. I completely stopped eating. I completely stopped sleeping. And um, my body was like in shock from this loud noise in my head. And so I'm a problem solver. And I was like, okay, we're going to go to the doctor and they're going to fix this. And um, I went to specialists. I went to doctors. And there was no help. Um, My anxiety was 24-7. Uh, Every day that went by that I um, didn't have sleep, I sort of started losing sanity a little bit. Um, And I've heard people talk about that, and I've been like, yeah, that must stink. But no, it is terrifying. And I have four kids, and I started getting it in my head that this ringing was going to ruin my life, that it was absolutely taking over my soul. I couldn't pray because, you know what, I couldn't hear him. I, all I could hear was this loud, just excruciating noise in my head. Um, for a full month, this went on. Um, I, you know, I, I got a hold of Mark, and I, I was actually, you know, surprised by his answer. He didn't try to give me some, you know, magic solution. He was like, that sounds horrible. We're going to be in prayer for you. Um, the lowest of the low point in this was um, a few weeks after it had started I you know was sleep deprived I was you know my husband had to work during the day it was just horrible my husband came home and I just left I didn't know where I was going I was in a panic Um, the doctors said they couldn't help me anymore so uh, I drove to the lake and um I didn't want to die, and I didn't actually tell Mark this part, so spring it on you here. Um, I didn't want to die. Like, I love life. I love the life that God gave me, but I convinced myself that the only peace that I was ever going to get was if I was dead. And um, to love your family and love God and what he's done in your life and to really believe that that would be a solution uh, was really low. And um, I had talked to a few family members, and they had actually called the police um, to do a welfare visit. I've never been in trouble in my life. I've never dealt with authority. So my husband calls me and said, the police are here at our house. And I was just stunned. Like, the police were at my house for me because, I, like, a family member had deemed me, um, you know, un- unfit or, un- you know, just, you know, they wanted to check on me. So, anyway, I'll never forget sitting at the lake, and they had found out where I was, and I could see the lights coming up the hill, and I realized, like, you cannot get lower than this. This is it. So, this continued um, a couple more weeks. I kept not sleeping, and I, I just kept slipping into this depression, and... Um, you know, my husband, bless his heart, every day, 24 hours a day, this is what we talk about. We talk about ringing in the ears. We talk about tinnitus. 
I took hundreds of dollars in supplements to remedy this. Nothing helped. And uh, one night, um, <laughs> finally, God spoke to me, and I could actually hear it. And um, I just, I wish I could relay what this did for me, but I had convinced myself that this was it for me. That this noise, there was no way I could live with it. Like, I, I've lost my family. I've lost my respect for myself, you know, uh, my sanity. And he told me to stop. Like, stop convincing yourself of this. Like, turn this around. And so I sat on the bed and I said, okay, this ringing brings me peace. This ringing relaxes me. And if anything else, this ringing is showing me that I'm alive. Like I'm here another day because I can hear it. I hear this noise. And I know that that probably sounds crazy, but I just kept meditating on that. Hardcore for, you know, an hour. I just kept, that's all I thought about. And that was the first night that I went to sleep without any medication, without... I had this huge sound machine that played all kinds of different sounds, and you know I'd have to do the right particular things so that I could get maybe a moment of sleep, and I, I, I was able to just completely fall asleep that night. So, if anything that comes out of this, I guess is my flesh. It's amazing what it can make you feel about your future and who you are and what you're capable of. But the moment that I like suffocated and killed that flesh and, and listened to the craziness that he, like, wanted me to really practice, and it worked. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so when you shared that, that with me, it was like uh, I could tell it was there was a change in just your overall just countenance and the way that you were even communicating. Um, so for those of you who have are familiar with tinnitus, uh, it is a debilitating, debilitating thing. And, and um, there is what you've been through, as we discussed, is not uncommon for someone who goes through that because it just completely overwhelms your life. But you were able to change that by changing the way you looked at your circumstances. Yes. Yeah. What would you say to somebody that's out here today that is looking for freedom from something that they don't have control over? What would you say just based on what you've experienced? There's just, there's nothing. There's no, there is, there is nothing that you cannot change your mind about. There's no, you know, that for me, I, to, to really believe that it was death that would have to give me peace, like, I don't care if it's addiction. I don't care if you're dealing with a sin. I, I don't care what it is. Like, there's nothing that you cannot right now change your mind about. Yes. Amen. Okay. Well, thank you, Beth. And uh, how, how are things now uh, as far as the ringing? I, I mean, it's kind of cool. So two weeks after I did that and kind of accepted it, one day I woke up and it was just dramatically lower. And I was like, okay, this is probably a fluke, but, you know, and since then it has been, you know, lower and the times that it is higher, it just, it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. Oh, amen. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you, Beth. Let's give her a hand. And I'm sure, I'm sure if you'd like to chat with her more about her story, I just, it was a story that I felt like, gosh, you, you need to hear and uh, we're so thankful for them. And I hope you'll get to know the Williamsons. They're, a, they're a, a fairly new family in our community, and they're just a beautiful family. I know that you would enjoy them. So uh, I, I, Scripture tells us in Romans twelve two, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And just let that sink in of all that you've just heard. Let that just settle in your spirit, and that may be something you need to think about if you're dealing with some kind of overwhelming thing in your life right now that you don't have control over. When you have control over it, it completely changes the way that you, you deal with that. But when you don't have control, and we start talking about relationships and loving others, that's an area you don't have control over, right? You can't force somebody to love you. You can't force somebody to see your love for them. You can't force it. It's, it's out of your control. 
Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what I hope you, you hear from that is a great testimony of, of not only you know, Beth's ability to deal with these difficult things, but also the power of our thinking over our circumstances. Now, don't hear me f- fall into a, a, a motivational speech about the power of your thinking. But I do want you to know that when God created you in his image, God gave you great ability through your mind. (laughs) And whenever you come to the place where you are no longer going to just wholeheartedly grab onto the way you see the world and you're never going to divert from that. Once you come to the place that you say, you know what, I am changing the way I see this. then the world can actually change around you. It's really an amazing thing the way that God does this. And when you do receive the gospel, that is one of the, if not the, most important moments for your mind to change about yourself and about the world. Now, if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're frustrated because you're thinking, you know what, things just aren't going the way I think they're supposed to go as a Christian. I mean, I read about what, uh, being blessed. I don't feel blessed or I don't feel like God's really close or God's speaking to me or God's really doing anything within my life. I, I want you to know probably what's happening is you are still viewing the world the way you did before Christ. That's often what happens. And no matter how mature you are in your faith, there will be times that you will fall back into your old ways of seeing the world. And what Jesus is constantly drawing us to is he's drawing us to view the world differently through his eyes. And we see this in so many ways in Scripture. And one of the most poignant ways that Jesus describes this is when he's standing in front of Pilate and and he asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because everybody in the conversation is viewing this as a nationalistic conversation over, is Jesus trying to take over the Roman government? And Jesus says, oh, my kingdom. You know what he says, right? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, they would come to my defense and come to my aid and nothing could stop them. But this is not my kingdom. This is not my world. That's why he goes on to to tell his disciples, you know what? Give to Caesar what's Caesar, but give to God what's God's. They are not interchangeable. You have to change the way you see the world. So how does this all fit in the context of what we're talking about within this series? You know, love is something that is so prevalent within our society, within our culture. Did you know more is written about love than any other topic? More songs are about love than any other topic. It's on people's minds, and many people believe that their entire wellness of being is wrapped up in, does someone love me? And some of you struggle with that within your own minds. If you grew up in a system where you doubted the love of those that cared for you, you may be, as an adult, struggling to receive love from other people because you grew up believing and seeing the world as hostile to you and seeing that the world does not care about you. And so whenever someone like me stands up and says, Jesus loves you, you may not even be able to hear it because all you've heard your entire life is a little voice saying you are unlovable. But there's this constant invitation for us to change the way we see the world, change the way we think, change the way we operate within this world. W.S. Gilbert is the one who coined the phrase, it's love that makes the world go round. He was a poet and a dramatist who wrote some of our most well-known early uh, works of literature. But I love what the journalist Franklin P. Jones said. He said, love doesn't make the world go round. Love is what makes the ride worthwhile. Now, if we want to get our theology straight, we could say probably both of them are right because, you know, God is love and God does make the world go round. So love does make the world go round. We could probably get, you know, but that's not really the point. Much of our enjoyment of life comes when we have something or someone to fully love and we also ourselves are fully loved. So once we experience that, 
then we will hold on to it because that is what makes life feel livable. How many times have you heard someone on the news or in some kind of dramatic incident where they almost died and they said, you know what, we we just about lost everything, but we have each other. Because at the end of the day, whenever we lose everything, we come back to what is most important to us, and it is not our stuff. It's those people that we are in a relationship with. The need to be loved is, is sometimes so even detrimental to us that I know so many people that have been in abusive relationships and because they have the voice inside their head that says you are unlovable, they will stay with an abuser who says falsely, I love you. Right? I bet many of you know somebody like that. Maybe you've even been that person at some point. You know, it's one of the telltale signs of abuse for an abuser to abuse and then to come back and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't mean it. You know, I love you. No, you don't abuse if you love. And yet many people stay in that situation because you know what? I just, at least somebody says they love me and I can't imagine life without at least having somebody love me. And it's one of the things that is beautiful to see someone like that fully embrace the love of God in their life and be set free from the need to be around abusive people because now they know what it's like to truly be loved. See, the way the world defines love is not the way Jesus defines love. The way the the world acts in love is not the way that Jesus defines love. I was talking with our elders yesterday and the, the area of lust is one of the primary topics of today and some of the more salacious statistics coming out about our habits and our tendencies is The largest porn site on the planet registered 16 billion visits last year. Do the math. That means every person on the face of the planet would have visited this porn site twice in one year. 80% of young people today have pornography as a regular part of their life. And in fact, even within the church, we no longer have a picture of sexual purity because we have allowed it to be so denigrated by the way the media and our culture describes love and sexuality that we no longer have a biblical worldview of what it looks like to love someone physically and sexually in a marriage because we're so messed up. It's amazing to me how many people, and if if you're one of those, you know, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. It's amazing to me how many women are completely drawn to the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. I'm telling you, there's probably not another thing on this planet that will ruin your relationships with your loved ones than when you embrace that that is okay entertainment and God's okay with that. It is just as dangerous as a guy who's on his computer 24 hours a day looking at stuff he shouldn't be looking at. But yet, what all our studies, all our socialists are telling us, socialists, <laughs> sociologists, let's get the words right, sociologists are telling us, I'm not trying to make a political speech here, what our sociologists are telling us is that we have so embraced it that we have now fractured within our own mind what our understanding of sexual purity is. So that a person who says, I am faithfully following Jesus within my life, has no issue with watching porn-laden dramas on TV. They have no problem with that because they don't see that it hurts anybody and they don't feel that they themselves are actually participating in a sexual act. And yet what Jesus says is, when you lust over someone, it's exactly the same as committing adultery. Because what happens in our mind is much more important than what we think it does. And so as our culture continues to implode... I think it's amazing that we have a me too, and I'm going some, I'm chasing some rabbits here. So, you know, you can hold me accountable later, but this me too movement, which I am in full support of because we have got to give people who have been abused a voice. However, what absolutely boggles my mind in this kind of me too environment is we see no problem watching movies about abuse. Until the people who wrote them, directed them, and acted in them say, you know what, this is how I live my life normally. Then we get upset with them. It is no different. And so when we begin to talk about what does it look like to love, we have to change the way we see it. And when we receive the gospel, it will change the way we see everything. So the topic of love is something that 
we have got to spend more time on. As Christians, when Jesus says something so incredibly important, you will be known as my disciples by your love for one another. That is so important and central to what Jesus was teaching that if we don't understand what he's saying, we are missing out on the most important indicator that we even know Christ. So as we go through this, and and actually in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about that area of just physical expressions of love in a very PG way, but we are going to talk about it in a couple of weeks here, and I hope you'll be here for that. Because it really is tearing Christians apart. Whenever you're trying to follow Christ, and yet you're continually putting into your minds and into your hearts these things that do not honor God, the Holy Spirit is grieved within you. And it's one of the reasons that people will say, I just, I want to follow Christ, but I just feel so empty and lost and confused, but I want to follow him. I will tell you, this is one of the reasons that happens. It's one of the reasons that when we change our mind, that changes our actions. There's a whole stream of counseling It is all based around the fact that if you will change your behaviors, it will change the way you think. There's so much tied into our minds and the impact that they have on the world around us. Let me let me let me digress a bit and go back to where I'm. What I want to share with you more today, you will trust most deeply. This is what I've said earlier. You will trust most deeply the people that, you know, love you most completely. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it worked out well, so that's good preacher talk. You will trust most deeply the people that you know love you most completely. Now, here's what happens when, we, when trust enters into a relationship. One of the interesting things that happens is fear begins to exit the relationship. Whenever you trust someone, you typically do not fear them or being around them. In fact, whenever you're with them, that provides some level of safety and security, doesn't it? I trust them. I, I trust that they're safe. I, I trust that they you know, are going to care for me. And I, can, I, I, don't trust, I don't fear that they're going to hurt me. What ends up happening in a relationship with trust, and you probably have at least one or two or maybe more people that are within your life that you are willing to share the more deeper, darker details of your life with. At least if you, if you don't, I hope you will find that person. Because we all need that person that we can just be completely 100% ourselves, Right? Without being judged, without someone just telling us, you know what, that's really bad. Well, I know it's bad. That's not why I'm telling you this, for you to tell me. I know it's bad. But you need somebody that you can be 100% authentic and intimate with about the deepest, darkest things of your life. Whenever you trust somebody, you typically allow that to happen. You typically share more about what's going on. And that's why in small groups... Sometimes small groups kind of start off awkwardly with a group of people that don't know each other. That's why some people kind of come and they hang out and then they leave because it's like, this is just weird. It's kind of awkward. But yet a small group that's been together for a long time begins to form those deeper, intimate, relational bonds. And that's sometimes why you, you may actually enter into a small group and think, oh, gosh, I feel kind of out of place here. Well, you just got to give time for those intimate bonds to reach you too. It's not that you're being forced out, but you understand that there's a level of trust that is built over time. And so as you develop these relationships and you know someone loves you more completely, you will share yourselves more intimately. We also have a tendency to believe what they say to us, which is a growing commodity within our world because we never honestly know what some people say if that's really how they feel, right? Isn't that frustrating to have a relationship with somebody and they say one thing, but you know they're telling somebody else something completely different? Aren't those your favorite people to be around? Those are the people you don't tell anything to, right? In in fact, you may even lie to them just to throw them off because you know they're going to go tell somebody else and you kind of sit back and watch it unfold. You all do that? You all don't do that? I'm being a little more intimate than I should. I hope I can trust, you know, I'm getting a little fearful now. I'm kidding. But it's frustrating to have those relationships when they're not authentic. That's one of the reasons that's one of our core values here is we want you to be authentic. You know what? If you're messed up, don't come in pretending you're not because that doesn't help anybody. And if you've got your stuff together... Don't treat the people that you know don't like they're less, less of a person because the reality is, is you're there to help them get their stuff together. And if you're not there yet, you will be at a place where your stuff's not together either. I always love it when someone is, holds themselves up as the example for every good thing. I just think, man, I just, 
Your day's coming, man. Your day's coming. And that, you don't say that because that's bad, right? That's not very encouraging. But it's like, you know, your day's coming. Things are going great. <laughs> you know? That's why being authentic and being yourself is so important for a church. It's, it's got to be more prevalent in a church than anywhere else that you can come as you are. I remember my dad hit me over the head one day. Not really. He, he has actually hit me over the head before, but not this time. And they were coming, they, they started coming, they live in Knoxville, and for the first, oh, about six years of our existence as a church, they drove down from Knoxville every weekend to be a part of our church until it just the drive got to be too much for them. And I remember when he first came, we were all about dress casual, dress casual, dress casual, do not come in a tie, dress casual. I mean, we're trying to change the, the, the culture here, we're just dress casual. Dad said, well, what, what if I want to come in a coat and tie, will you accept me as I am? I was like, oh, Dad hate you but i love you too but i hate you he didn't hit me over the head but he could have that's how that's how much it hit me you know what being authentic means come as you are no matter who you are right whenever we trust somebody those are the moments that we're literally willing to do anything if you're a parent and you have a child and they step in front of a car you'll you'll run and throw them out of the way and take the hit because you love them it's amazing what happens when we begin to fully trust someone, when we begin to fully love them. Now, it's easy for some reason for us to view our relationships with our spouses, our boyfriends, girlfriends, parents, brothers, sisters, friends at school. It's easy to view this concept in those relationships. But do you realize this is most importantly lived out in our relationship with God, the coalition between love and trust? See, by receiving the gospel, that is the place where we begin to learn to trust God truly. And when we begin to trust God truly, that is when the way we see the world changes. And whenever we hear God teaching, we say, oh, oh, the world hates that stuff. But, oh, I love it because God says this is best for me. But one of the reasons and and typically the way people respond out of their natural self is that when God says to limit yourself, a behavior is not good or healthy, our typical response is, well, it feels good or healthy. I'm not sure I trust that God has my best interest in mind. Now, we would never say that, right? We would never say that to God. But we will live that way. We will live that way. It's when we fully love Him and we more importantly understand His complete love for us that causes us to begin to trust what he says and that we will follow him. The more deeply you love God, the more fully you will trust him. Okay, I want you to, I want you to let that sit for a minute. The more deeply you love God, the more fully you will trust him. One of the ways the Bible describes that trust relationship is a seeking relationship. Psalm 9:10 says, "Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you." When we love him, we trust him. Now, as in all relationships, trust is built over time and experiences. We we are put in difficult circumstances and we learn that we can trust in this relationship. That is the same way with God. And so if you're a new believer, sometimes we think, well, gosh, I'm just a bad Christian because I don't trust. Well, you build that over time. Sometimes you come from such a broken background. You are so relieved to experience the gospel that your trust is immediate because you don't have anything else to trust in. And you're just so thankful that you can trust in God. And that does happen in the lives of people. But if you are not in that position and you are Oh, God, I, I, I believe your word. I believe the gospel and I, I love you and I trust you, but I need to trust you more. It's a process where God continues to say, if you will test me. And one of the places we see this in scriptures with tithing, not really the point of today's sermon, but it is interesting that he says this. If you'll just follow what I'm saying and test me in this, then you will see that I'm right. And if God says that about tithing, what do you think he's doing with your careers, with your kids and your parenting? What do you think God's doing with 
you know, when you're struggling through these life issues that we're coming at us faster than we can deal with, I mean, come on, we're talking about, you know, tithing. What about when we get to the really juicy parts of life that we are most fearful about? God is trustworthy. Test him in this. And as you test him, he will show that he is faithful. And as you experience that, your trust will grow. When we love God, our trust grows. And interestingly enough, the inverse is true. As we trust God, our love grows. It's an amazing thing as we begin to love and trust more fully. It just builds upon each other. It's very hard to love someone that you can't trust. And I know some of your stories, and you have that story within your own families. It's hard to love someone that you can't trust. But with God, you don't have to worry about that. The more deeply you love God, the more fully you will trust Him. Psalm 9, 9, 10, I've already read that. When we love God, our trust grows. As we trust God, our love grows. Romans 5, 8 says, God shows His love for us that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by, by him from the wrath of God? When we begin to understand, and this is where theology actually does become important for a Christian, because once you begin to understand the different facets of God and his holiness and his justice, then you begin to understand how great his forgiveness of us really is. See, we have a worldly view of holiness, which is very circumstantial. You know, based on these circumstances, I think the good thing to do is this. But that may not always be the good thing. But with God, that's not how he works. With God, the good thing is always the good thing, right? We, never be, we understand holiness is that thing that condemns us to hell if we don't know Christ. Then holiness becomes very important to us. When we understand Jesus' constant teaching and action in the areas of justice, we begin to understand that justice is important to God, and so it should be important to us. When we begin to see these things, we begin to understand how great God's love is for us because in spite of our sin and in spite of the darkness within us, He has saved us. And when we begin to understand a theology of sin that says sin is just about as bad as it can get, and we all have it. It is a disease no one is immune to and no one can be cured from. It is something that you are going to struggle with your entire life, whether you know Jesus or not, and yet... God says, you do not act in any way in in the ways that I act. However, I love you so completely, I will send my son to die so you don't have to pay that punishment. Christ dying for us is God's complete love for us. When we begin to understand how great a gift that is, we begin to trust God's love more. That's one of the reasons that Jesus constantly, in the very beginnings of his ministry, this is how John described it, this is how the apostles went out. The gospel never started with forgiveness uh, of sins through Jesus' blood. It always started with repent. Repent. John's constant message, repent, for the time is at hand. Jesus' first presentation of the gospel, repent. Because it is that darkness within us that drives us in these unhealthy ways and is the thing that keeps us from being able to be in His presence and is what messes up all of our other relationships. And it's why we see the world through a faulty lens, not the way God sees it. And yet God, because of His great love for us, in spite of the fact that we had nothing to offer, says, I'm coming to save you. And that is His love. Somebody's getting ESPN alert. I don't know what it's about, but I'm sure it's important. Whenever we look throughout history, and I think we probably could be honest if we were introspective and reflective of our own lives, I think we would be honest that we sometimes view what God is doing and what God is calling us to as counterproductive to our happiness. I mean, whenever you start talking about serving others and sacrificing for others and giving of yourself for others and picking up your cross and following him and laying down your life so that others can live and all those certain things. We look at that not thinking, wow, God really wants me to be happy. We and could quite easily read it as God really wants me to be miserable. 
One of the reasons I wanted Beth to share today is because that requires a change in the way we see the world. And it is amazing what happens when you choose to see the world through the lens of God rather than through the lenses you were born with. It's amazing what happens whenever you begin to trust Him. Trust matters in this area of, of love in so many different ways. And, and I want to give you just a few things that I have found that uh, I think are just important before we close today. Trust matters in regards to love because we have to believe that what God says is best really is best. Now, this is an area of faith, but and it seems so simple, and I don't know that anyone that attends church anywhere would disagree with me, but within the practice of your life, do you fully believe that God, what God says is best, is actually best? If you are living in any way through a lifestyle choice, through uh, what, however you're living your life from day to day that you know God would not approve of and you wouldn't want God walking in on, then you're living in this manner, that what God says is best really isn't best because I, I, I think it's infringing upon my happiness. That's one of the reasons that trust matters. I trust that God really does know what's best. You know, I, I love when Job is just, you know, he kind of starts complaining and, you know, he's got all these bad friends around and telling him how all his problems are because of his bad actions. And he just starts kind of complaining like, God, what's the deal? I've been faithful. What's, what's, what's wrong with you? And, God, and then God just kind of puts a smackdown on him and says, you know what? Where were you when I created all this? Where were you when I put the foundation of the earth in place? Where were you when I created the sky and the sea? And, and how, where were you when I keep all the planets going in orbit as they should? Where, where have you been? And, you know, you can just see Joe be like, I'm going to go take a break. Um, I, I don't really like what I'm hearing. Trust matters. Because when we dismiss the things that God says is bad, we're honestly not helping anyone or ourselves. This is crucial in our current climate when Orthodox Christian values are being attacked. And someone in your vicinity is telling you, if you love me, you will accept me no matter what. Even though what God says is, this leads to death. Name a single person that you love and you're going to be okay with them making a choice that you know will kill them. You wouldn't do it. You would stop them. It's the same thing when the things that God says is, is bad for us. It's unhealthy and this leads to death. Then we look at others and if we love them, we don't say, you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. You know what? I don't want to intrude. <laughs> it's like sending your three-year-old out to play in the street with a big semi-truck coming. I don't want to intrude. don't want to bother you. You go ahead. You want, I, you know, I don't want to put you to play in the street, but you want to play in the street. So I'm going to just accept the, what you want to do. We would never do that. And yet you are pushed constantly by our culture to say, Reject the orthodox teachings of the church because then you'll appear to be unloving. This is when it gets uncomfortable, isn't it? I don't like people to think I'm unloving. I really don't. I really like people to think Mark's, you know, a nice guy. But there are times that the world is not going to view you as a nice guy. You can trust that God is working in ways that are best for you. These are some ways that I think that you can do that. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Three areas. There's a bunch more, but three areas that you, I know you can trust God in and that you have to receive to truly follow him. Number one is trusting in God's word. Trusting in God's word does not mean I trust that this is God's word. It means I trust that living by God's word is the best way to live. That's what trusting in God's word is. It's not saying, I believe that scripture is inerrant. You know, a lot of people say they believe scripture is inerrant, but you know what? You're going to live by it. That's whenever we say, I'm going to live by this. It's whenever we read it and we know God's speaking truth to us, he's changing the way we're thinking. This is the transforming of our minds, the renewing of our minds. And it's the belief that his teachings are good even when they feel difficult. Again, God says, test me in this. Just follow me in this and see if you're not blessed. 
And I find the people that are most frustrated in their faith are ones that have not embraced living out the teachings of Jesus. They're still trying to have a foot in each world. And I'm going to tell you, that's a miserable place to be. It's a miserable place to be. Trust in God's Word. pastor, friend of mine, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that passed away. He used to say this. I think it's absolutely true. Faith is confident obedience in God's Word in spite of circumstances or consequences. You know, there's a reason there are more martyrs happening today in the Christian faith than at any other time in history, and yet people willingly go to their death rather than claim that they don't love Christ. Because they believe that what God says is best even when the world doesn't. One of the things we're seeing in the news, and I debated whether I should even bring this up, but I, it's gonna, it, other people are talking about it, so we ought to talk about it as well, and that is the failure of prolific Christian ministers in the news right now. And some of you, if you're not familiar with this, you're not, you don't follow up in all the church stuff, then you know, listen, your friends are. We've had some very high-profile people resign their positions in the last couple of weeks because of moral failures. Southern Baptist Convention president of the executive committee had to resign because he was having an affair. Bill Hybels, who probably did more to start a movement that started more churches throughout the world than just about anybody else, has had to resign his church early under all kinds of accusations that he acted inappropriately with staff and other people. I don't know if it's true. He says it's not true. I don't know if it's true. But the truth is, no matter, there's probably not a, another person. There are, there, there are, but there are few people who have had as profound effect of the evangelical landscape in America than Bill Hybels. But he will be known for his mistakes. He will not be known for all those other good things. In the mess of all this mix, other highly prolific, well-known megachurch pastors have come to criticize Bill Hybels. Some I've quoted in here many times, who are now having former staff people come up and saying, ho, 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 ho. Remember when you did this and this and this and this and this, you are exactly like him. Now, if you're a Christian and you have good theology, you say, we're all broken. (laughs) You know, even the best of us are broken and are sinful, and that's why Jesus came to die for us. But an unbelieving world does not view it in that way. An unbelieving world says, I know Christ, I I knew Christianity, there's nothing to it. And so the unbelieving world looks at us and says, you know what, you don't even follow Jesus' teachings, why should I? And what are you going to say to that? There's nothing you can say to that. Now, I do not believe that any of these ministers' complete lives can be summed up in their sins. Jesus died for their sins, just like he died for mine. But that is the way the world is, and it's moving in this direction. And we have to begin to recognize there is a difference in authentically living out the way of Christ and being a successful Christian in the public eye. We'll talk about this another time. How do we combat this, you and me? I, you know, I'm a prolific Christian minister. Everyone knows my name, right? <laughs> no, nobody knows who I am. I, just kinda, I can slip in and out of place all the time. I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I believe it was Scott who mentioned, you know, they've got, oh, no, I don't know if it was Scott or if I saw in the Babylon Bee. I, you know, sometimes I get my theology from the Babylon Bee. If you're not following the Babylon Bee, you're missing out in life. I'm just telling you right now. It's, it's a satire. It's just, I'm going to say that now. It's satire. But it talked about a button that you could install on your dash that whenever you happen to do something, you know, that you weren't supposed to do on the road, you could flip the button and the little fish in the back of your car would turn around and disappear so you couldn't be accused of being a Christian. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who do that. You know, I come out with my Lord's Gym t-shirt and then I actually do something I shouldn't and then I got to turn inside out and we might know I'm a Christian. So listen, if y'all wear any of these Journey Church t-shirts out there, be on your best behavior, okay? Because it does come back to bite us. When you're not. Somebody in the Journey Church t-shirt, they came over here and, you know, they, they told me I was number one because I cut them off. I didn't mean to cut them off, but I don't know what to do now. Yeah. You got to be careful. And, but all of this is mitigated by just we trust in God's word. All right. Enough on that. Number two. Trust in God's call. Trust in God's call. I ran into some old friends of ours and neighbors of some of 
So our friends in here who just got back from three months in uh, Jamaica on a mission trip, and uh, just wonderful people. They, they are members of a church that I pastored before we started this church. And uh, he is a very successful investment, uh, I don't know if it was investment, he's some kind of banker, but he was really good at it, made really good money, but he felt God was calling him into full-time missions, and so he resigned before retirement age, and now they're putting everything they have into spending as much time in Jamaica training church leaders as possible. So they just got back from a three-month stint, and I was just talking with his wife, and she's like, you know, I wasn't sure about this. I mean, he's really sure about this. I wasn't sure about this. But we're doing it. I was like, man, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's the adventure of him taking you places where you're like, I may, we may die, but isn't this awesome? And if you follow what's going on in Jamaica, that is possible. <laughs> Jamaica's become a rough place as, as of late. And I just said, gosh, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. I mean, I'm not coming, moving down to Jamaica. I might come down for a couple of weeks a year, but I'm not moving to Jamaica. But man, this is what. This is what it looks like. But see, the call to do something like that is typically what we think of in Christian circles as the call. But your call happens every single day. God is calling you every single day. And it may not be to Jamaica or to the Middle East or to Asia or anywhere else. It may be to your workplace. It may be to your neighbors. He's calling you. And those calls are not always just to evangelize, even though evangelism is a huge call. And Jesus, I mean, last thing he said was, oh, by the way, make sure you tell the whole world about me. But he also calls you to things like humility, to being a peacemaker. He calls you to love people that hate you. God's call, we can trust in that. When God says, hey, this is what I want for you, you can trust that it is best. The third thing, trust in choosing God over the world. And this is where it becomes uncomfortable. The reason it becomes uncomfortable is sometimes when we live this out most faithfully, people around us dislike us most fiercely. A lot of people do not pat you on the back by living the way of Jesus. But we trust choosing God over the world day in and day out. And we do that because we do actually trust Him. Because we know He loves us completely and He is doing a good work in us that He will complete. Matthew 10.32 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before my Father in heaven. It's like, what? You've got to love me and trust me. Matthew 10, he says, whoever loves father, loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You've got you to gotta love me everything. You can trust me. I love you completely. Some of the things that I have learned, just, I really am going to stop for today. Things I have learned is, is this, when we understand God's goodness, we can trust that he brings about what is best. When I don't understand what God is doing, whether it's in, in our church or whether it's in my life or in our family, and I'm like, God, this just feels bad. This just, nothing about this feels like this is good for the kingdom. This just feels bad. I, I, it's, it's taken me time to get to the place of saying, you know what? This feels bad, but if this is what needs to happen, then something good's going to happen out of it. This is what this is best. This is best. Now, I don't always do that excited. Then they're like, okay, God, this is best. Yes. Oh this is best and just like beth mentioned you have to just tell myself over and over again because my anxiety will sometimes flare up like god are you you sure about this this is best yes this is best okay this is okay and inevitably god will speak and say you can be at peace because i you can trust me and this is best another thing that i've learned is that we trust that maturing is more important than being comfortable I know you all are ready to go eat, so you're getting uncomfortable, but that's not really what I'm talking about. When we trust the process of growing is more important than me just being comfortable all the time, that we're okay with God rearranging our lives in uncomfortable ways. Another one I've been learning, I've preached on it many times, but I can't say until the last couple of years that I've really embraced and understood what it meant that we grow happier with trials because we know God is doing something in our lives. 
never understood James before. I mean, I've read it. We've preached on it. And, you know, I've said all the things you're supposed to say about it. But it's been, it's taken me several years as a Christian to really understand, to embrace trials as, oh, this is tough. But something is going to be on the other end of this that I can't wait for. It's going to be awesome. It takes time. It takes trust. I'd like to say that I'm the perfect illustration of trusting God. I have so much more to learn, but I am learning. Another thing I've learned is that we can stand more boldly because we trust God to bring about His good and perfect will. We don't have to orchestrate things the way that we think they're supposed to be. And again, similar to what Beth's testimony is, we're more willing to make difficult changes in our lives because we trust that God is the author of them and that he has our best at heart. When we look at different people in Scripture, we see it over and over again. Joseph, when he sat in that ditch, brother selling him off to the Egyptians, I'm sure he wasn't saying, oh boy, God, I'm excited, I'm ready for a trip. That's not what he was thinking. But God was going to do something. Moses when he fled after killing an Egyptian for harming a slave, and God said, I want you to go take my people out. God, God, no, 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 no. I can't. Uh, 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 uh. That's not exactly how Scripture goes, but that's pretty much what he's saying. I can't speak. I can't do it. I'm not a good leader. And you know, I'm a wanted man. You're the man for me. Go. Do it. And finally, I'll leave this with you because this sets us up for the the rest of what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. When we trust God, we love others more. <laughs> once we fully embrace His love and once we fully embrace what that looks like, we, we are able to love others more fully. So I share all this with you and I want you to think throughout this week, what does it look like for you to fully trust God in this coming week with whatever it is that you need to trust Him with? What is it that you need to fully give over to him and you need to know that he is faithful to come through for you? What is it that you need to say right now? I don't know how this is going to work out, but you know what? It's okay because God's got my back. And even if this ends in the worst way possible, you know what? Jesus has already told me he's gone to prepare a place for me. And one day he's going to take me to that place. And I'm not going to worry about any of this stuff anymore. We can trust God. And the more that we love him, the more that we trust him, the more that we trust him, the more that we love him. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that you do love us. And even when we are so incapable of expressing love in any way similar, God, you continue to show us how much you care for us, that you, you do have our backs. We can trust you. And whenever we follow your teachings and we are just thinking, oh, this just doesn't feel right. We can know with confidence that this is best. I pray that you would help us to change our minds, change the way that we're seeing the world, change our worldview to be your worldview. And Father, help us to live out living as disciples who love all those that we come in contact with. Lord, we thank you for your love and all that you've given us through Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.